Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, Sat Managing Editor of Fightful.com. FightfulMMA.com for the new look Holy Smokes MMA podcast. We're going to do a little bit of a different format. Myself hosting. we got Showdown Joe, of course. The familiar face you've seen at Fightful for two years. And we are welcoming James Lynch onto the panel. James, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Happy to be a part of the show. I'm excited to uh, talk some fights with you guys. It's uh, you know we, we often talk on social media and everything, but it's good to actually do this in a, in a show format. It'll be great. Of course, you guys know Showdown Joe. He's been around MMA for, I think, going on six decades now, Joe? Pretty much. It's been over two decades, so pretty much from day one. I guess three years after the first UFC is when I got in uh, uh, pretty deep. So, uh, yeah. Well, James, are you sunburned? Because you look really red, son. Uh, no, I, th- I think it's the, uh, the the webcam. I got a new webcam, so it's picking up the colors a little bit more or something like See, that. But I'm, I'm good. I've been staying out of the sun. So. It's the opposite with me. I'm going to have to check into this webcam. I'm a pretty dark-skinned fella for, for somebody from Kentucky, and everybody was telling me on, on the shows last week that I looked flush. And I was like, what's the deal here? And then yeah. I look, and I've got the same camera as Jimmy Van. So. Well, that says a lot right there. But I'm ecstatic. First things first, guys, if you don't know, I got to hang out with Sean Rossap last week at the Blue Jays game. Uh, for the Jimmy Van um, get-together uh, for the overall corporation. It was fantastic. We wanted to hang out with um, James Lynch, but James couldn't get there uh, in time. He had some other stuff uh, to take care of, but super excited to have James here. James is someone I worked with way back when at Sportsnet. As he came in, I was sort of departing, so we do have some run-ins. Uh, we've had some good times in the past, and uh, I can vouch this guy's an A-OK dude, except for one thing I need clarification <laughs> on this podcast right now, Sean Ross Sapp. James, have you moved to the other side of the country? I have, yes. Breaking news. Wow. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm leaving, uh, you know, the big, uh, well, it's not the Big Apple, that's New York, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving Toronto. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be a West Coast uh, transplant uh, after September 19th. So I'm uh, going to be moving back to BC. Oh, moving on my birthday. So, uh, well, you're going to be a Vancouverite. I'm still a Torontoite, so things will get ugly on this podcast, Sean Rossap. Because, uh, <laughs> they definitely will. Once hockey season starts, you're going to see two miserable Canadians trying to keep it professional here. I'm thinking about starting a Fightful Select Fantasy Hockey League because our Fantasy Football League was so successful. Of course, guys, you all can get extra additional premium content at FightfulSelect.com. I did the UFC rankings breakdown video there. If it were work, if it were a shoot podcast, is a blast to do. That comes there monthly, but we've got plenty of stuff to talk about today. Uh, James Lynch, you all know him. If you've watched the Holy Smokes podcast before, he would be interviewing any number of subjects, dozens if not maybe 100 people a month he talks to all the time. He's got some insight, and of course, Showdown Joe has experience as a broadcaster, certified as an MMA ref and judge, so we've got that to refer to as well. UFC Lincoln, you guys. Justin Gaethje, what a performance. I didn't think he was going to be able to pull this off. He proved me wrong, and he predicted it. Uh, Joe, 
he said ahead of the fight that James Vick moves backwards every single time that he fights, and eventually he's going to run into the cage. That is exactly what happened, and a right overhand caught James Vick. Your reactions to that main event Saturday night, in which I think that Gaethje kind of, I don't think he had to win it, but he, if he wanted to stay relevant, he did. Yeah, if he wanted to stay relevant, he had to win. I mean, based on his assessment, I guess any any fighter that heads into a, a boat is going to have some sort of analysis uh, either, you know, usually three to four different plans. They're going to execute plan A as much as possible until, you know, probably the midway through the second or third round when they realize, okay, you know what, nah, I got to go to plan B, C, or D here. And what they broke down with James Vick is exactly what they what unfolded inside the cage. So it didn't really surprise me. And even if it went the other way, guys, it wouldn't surprise me one bit because James Vick is just as talented uh, as Justin Gaethje when he starts executing his strategy. The difference is with when you fight a guy like Justin Gaethje, he's a rarity. You know, it's, it's sort of like fighting. Um, you know, you can look at different guys and what their specialties are. And, and Justin Gaethje is that guy that's going to fight you in a phone booth. He, he was actually a little almost laid back in this fight here. So he looked pretty good until he launched that, that I guess, that jab and then the, the, the right hand over the top that dropped uh, James Vick. I mean, it's like when you're fighting a guy like Nate Diaz, it's the pressure, the pressure the pressure, the nonstop striking, even Nick Diaz, or when you're fighting, example, Conor McGregor, that left hand is you just got to watch out for that left hand. And Justin Gaethje, this guy brings a lot of damaging strikes. Uh, And we barely saw the leg kick, Sean. You and I were breaking that down nonstop, and there were barely any leg kicks by, uh, by Gaethje. James, let me ask you, is this the biggest win of Justin Gaethje's career, all things considered? at least from a talent perspective and from a relevance perspective, because he had some good wins in World Series of Fighting, obviously. He was the dominant champion. But we're talking like James Vick, who had been on an unreal streak in this division, where, unfortunately for Vick, he had like six or seven guys who just had way bigger names ahead of him. This was this was a giant win for Gaethje. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, there's no other way to look at it and nothing against World Series of Fighting, but just the the level of competition in the UFC is just so much greater. And you look at a guy like Vic who, you know, was on a roll and he wanted this fight, Sean. I mean, we've seen it, you know, in interviews that he's done here on Fightful where he wanted a big fight and he felt sort of disrespected. Well, guess what? He got the opportunity and uh, it didn't go his way. And now Gaethje, you know, uh, this is huge for him. You know, two, two, he had two losses heading into this fight. Some people were thinking, oh, you know, he's done. He's, you know, he's taken too much damage. But he went out there and did exactly what he needed to do. And I think we know now the catalyst for beating James Vick. You got to pressure him and get in his face. All of his losses, even the one on the Ultimate Fighter where he lost to Michael Chiesa, were knockouts. So you look at the Dariush loss, you look at this loss. If you want to beat James Vick, you got to get on the inside and you got to you got to you got to hit him. And and obviously, I, I think a weight the weight cut is part of that. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about what's next for Vick after this, but I think in general, this is. Uh, you know, that Justin Gaethje did exactly what he needed to do. And Vic did exactly what he shouldn't have done, which is you, you can't brawl with Justin Gaethje because, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, either he gets knocked out or he's going to knock you out. And it just went his way that night. For Vic, he had to win this to force his name into the Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, all those guys. And I really thought, we'll talk about Ferguson later. I thought he was going to match up with probably Lee again because Dustin Poirier is in, involved and they they had to go get a guy who hadn't fought in two years to fight him. You've got, especially going into this, you had so many guys who had a, a, a claim to a top spot or near a top spot at lightweight. Justin Gaethje doesn't really have that. He's got a claim to headline shows like this for sure. But if he lost three in a row, that would have been hard to recover from. However, 
four fights, five performance bonuses. That's why they signed Justin Gaethje. If not to be a dominant fighter, then to put on fights like this. And I think the five performance of the night bonuses in four fights is that's that's the stock they have in Justin Gaethje showdown, Joe. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's every time his his name is announced and you hear the nickname the highlight. The guy is the highlight. I mean, anything and everything he does uh, throughout, whether it's a five minute fight, ninety seven second fight, uh, eighty seven second fight. 15-minute fight, there's highlights. Every time this guy competes, there's a highlight. This guy is something special. And, yeah, I mean, uh, how many guys are we you – know, did Eddie Alvarez come into the UFC and headline an event? Or was Gaethje the no, first? No, that was that was Cerrone was his first fight. So I think that was on, just on the main card. Yeah, so Gaethje comes in, and he's you know a main event right off the bat. It's, he's been worth every penny for the UFC to bring him over from World Series of Fighting. The guy's a fantastic fighter. Um, you know, does he have his flaws? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I thought it was cool that the broadcasters actually mentioned as he was walking into the cage, guys, that we all forget that he actually has a wrestling base. You know, we just never see it. We just never yeah. see it. He wants to put on some spectacular knockouts and fights. So uh, I don't like the longevity of his career. I don't like, uh, you know, what, what it's going to be like speaking to him when he's 50 or 60 years old. But hopefully, um, you know, everything is fine with him. But man, yeah. Anytime he fights, we're going to tune in. The guy is just something magically special to watch. What's next for Justin Gaethje and James Vick, James? Uh, well, I think for Gaethje, I think the Kevin Lee fight makes sense at this point, just with the fact that Lee doesn't have an opponent. Lee, yes, he's coming off a win. He's also coming off a loss to Ferguson before that. So he's kind of, you know, had some fights that went his way that didn't go his way. Um, and I, I think the Gaethje fight's great. Um, you know, w- do they do it now? No, let's let's let Kevin, we, let, you know, if they're going to do that matchup, let's give some time in between. Gaethje, uh, you know, he, he needs to take a little bit of time off. He's fought a lot in the last, you know, not calendar year, but just in general. And for Vic, um, I, I think he's got to move up to welterweight. You know, I think the weight really did play a role in this uh, in this loss in the sense that you know you cut all that weight you're more susceptible to the knockout I think for him um, you know he's he's had two basically fights now where uh, you know he hasn't been able to get over the heap uh, you know he fought Darius he gets knocked out he fights Gaethje he gets knocked out both uh, early in the fight so to me that says you know, you can't beat those elite guys. Let's see how he does at welterweight. You know, we've seen guys move up a weight class, been successful. Robert Whitaker is a middleweight champion now. You know, he got knocked out at welterweight, moved up. Uh, you got Calvin Gaslam now fighting Whitaker, also moved up a weight class. I think there is benefits to these fighters changing weight classes and not cutting as much weight because we really want to see them at their best. And I don't think Vic has been at his best. I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you seeing those weigh-in photos of James Vic doesn't look really good. Yeah, and he's still big enough to compete at welterweight because he's six, he's six foot three. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude. He's got a 76 inch reach. And the way that things worked out, it's wild the way that the, the landscape of this lightweight division is still changing because Nate Diaz being involved through a lot. And, and who knows if by fight night, Nate Diaz will be involved because you never know with him. But you, you were able to match up Poirier with him. Poirier, he wanted to wait for a title shot. And who knows if who knew if Poirier was really even close to a title shot with Tony Ferguson coming back. We can go ahead and talk about that. Now, Tony Ferguson gets matched up with Anthony Showtime Pettis. Joe, this is a kind of peculiar booking to me. I don't know why Anthony Pettis is ranked this high in the division anyway. I don't see him as a top 10 guy anymore, even though he was able to beat Chiesa. Where do you see Pettis in the division? And do you, do you think this is the right fight to make? I'm sure it'll be a good fight. Yeah, I think that's what they're looking at now. I think, um, you know, McMaynard and, and Sean Shelby took a look at what 
Pettis brought to the cage in his last fight, how he said, you know what, I'm done with the wrestling stuff. We talked about it, how he changed up his style, went back to the old Anthony Pettis that made him a champion, which is basically his stellar striking, pin, you know, precision, pinpoint accuracy. And if it goes down on the ground, I'm going to put you in a lot of trouble with my submission game and my transitions and stuff like that. That's the Pettis that everybody sort of wants to see. Uh, he left that, and, and, and you know, we're not going to blame Ben Askren or anyone at Rufus Sport. It was just a decision that Anthony Pettis eventually made to say, you know what, I got to work on my wrestling to prevent this or prevent that, when realistically it doesn't really matter. You get taken down on the ground, good. Use your jiu-jitsu game. You got a fantastic submission game, go for it. If it, if it stays standing up, you've got that skill set. So I think it's a fun matchup. It's good for Tony Ferguson because of the time off. Um, it's not really a warm-up fight. We can't say it's a warm-up fight, but it's not a fight versus a Kevin Lee uh, or an Eddie Alvarez or you know getting a you know fighting a Habib Nurmagomedov or a Conor McGregor. It's good enough of a fighter to say, you know what, you're going to get pushed here. I like the matchup, and we just don't know what's going to happen because on paper, Tony Ferguson should smash Anthony Pettis. But what we know is paper doesn't fight paper. So with Anthony Pettis, he could surprise a lot of people and send Tony Ferguson down these rankings pretty quickly with a victory should you know once they compete i have no problem with the booking guys i don't know about you guys but i have no problem with it i think it's going to be a fun fight i mean tony ferguson will likely be a huge favorite in this fight i don't blame the odds makers or the public for making him a favorite but you know by the time we get to this fight guys don't be surprised if sean ross sap starts yelling i got five on it for pettis so well, anytime you, you've got a guy like Anthony Pettis, there, there's always a chance. But, I mean, he's coming off of a pretty rough patch in his career, had that win over Chiesa. James, what do you think of this booking? I, I think we don't know the answers to Anthony Pettis at this point. That was a good win over Chiesa, but Chiesa's moving up to 170. You know, I think that weight cut also played a factor in his loss to Pettis. Um, is Pettis back? We don't know. I mean, the, the, certainly the last couple of fights haven't really indicated that. Even if you look at the fight where he beat Jim Miller, that was not really like a dominating type performance where you're like, wow, this guy could really get back to the top as a title contender. Look, this is the result of Conor McGregor. I'm, I'm Bear with me here for a second. You know, I think they've had to do so many matchups in the last year and a bit of guys having to fight each other that they're just running out of options at this point and that's why you're getting a guy who's pettis you know i know people are like this doesn't make any sense you know whatever but the fact of the matter is he's he's ranked he's a guy that doesn't have a fight booked he's not ally quinta where you don't know what's happening with him he's, he's not eddie alvarez who's a you know free agent at the moment or or you know potentially looking to resign so there isn't a lot of options and i think this is what you're going to get you're going to see more matchups like this as they sort of figure out this really hazy picture of the lightweight division and uh, to me i think it's an interesting fight because anything can happen that's why we watch the sport Pettis could upset uh, Ferguson. We have no idea. Did the injury, is it going to take something out of Ferguson in this fight? We don't know. Is Pettis back? We really don't have the answers to that because, again, I think, you know, Chiesa was really depleted in that fight. And, you know, Pettis, Pettis might have looked like an animal, but we don't really know until he actually goes in there and fights him. But the one thing we do have to mention about this booking is that Pettis is a former champion. So I think that does hold weight in terms yes. of him getting this matchup. And I think that's why people need to, you know, stop complaining because I think that does hold weight uh, when they do the matchmaking. And even though we still have we have all these questions about this division right now, not there there is a good opportunity or a good chance that they might not get answered. Mm-hmm. Habib Nurmagomedov might not make the fight. Conor McGregor is unpredictable at best. Tony Ferguson is coming off of a knee injury, and we know the way that he trains. There is quite the possibility that gets aggravated. Uh, Eddie Alvarez, his contract is up. You got Justin Gaethje and Edson Barboza who aren't exactly consistent. You have Anthony Pettis, not consistent. Ally Aquinta, never know if he wants to fight. James Vick coming off the loss. Nate Diaz, you never know what he's going to do. So despite all the talent, there's a real chance 
that we don't get any answers out of this. But uh, this lightweight division is something special. It's really nice. We saw uh, Michael Johnson, who used to be the perennial spoiler in that division. He would just lose two fights and then knock a guy out in the top 10. He defeated uh, Andre Feely. Joe, your thoughts from a judging perspective of how this one was scored? That one could have went either way. I have no problems with pretty much anyone saying that Andre Feely won that fight. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember how I scored. I may have given it to Feely, uh, or I may have given it to, to MJ. I don't know, but it, it, it was that close of a fight to say, you know what, it doesn't matter. And I get, I mean, you saw Feely's reaction afterwards. I mean, the guys, you're obviously going to be upset when it's that close. So it was a good fight. Both guys went back and forth. Um, you know, pretty good submission attempt there by Feely, almost choking him out, but good resolve uh, on, on Johnson to get out of that and, and continue moving that fight forward. So I'm very impressed with both guys. Both guys should keep their head held high. Uh, it was a great scrap. And like I said, I, I don't know, I didn't check MMA decisions to see what uh, some of the media guys or what other people have said about it, but close enough fight that it could have went either way. No problem with the actual result in general. James, your thoughts? I actually scored it for Feely, but I agree with Joe completely. I mean, this wasn't a robbery. This could have gone either way. I mean, look, if you're, if you're not getting a finish in this fight or you're not doing something decisive and noteworthy, the fact that Joe and I can't even reference anything other than the submission attempt by Feely, that just goes to show how close this fight really was. And, you know, for a moment there, we, we, saw, we literally thought this was going to be a replay of Feely's teammate, uh, Darren Elkins, defeating uh, Johnson by getting the submission, but Johnson able to persevere and keep the fight going. I think what this really comes down to is how you scored that third round. You know, not a lot of activity and not, no, no one, you know, you, you can't just sit there and say, oh, it was clearly this guy's round. Um, but, but nonetheless, Michael Johnson, you know, has another life. He's uh, still existing in the featherweight division. And for Andre Feely, you know, maybe this is just uh, karma coming back because some people felt like he didn't beat Dennis Bermudez in his last fight. So this is one of those oh, ones where it just, it just oh, didn't wow. go his way. Very true. Very, very true. It's funny, though, James, because, and Sean, yeah, this is a fight that, you know, guys like us three and so many other people, even if you're a hardcore fan and truly understand how a fight is broken down. And we, I mean, we could talk to Big John McCarthy to a blue in the face or even with Frank Trigg or anyone in general that looks at fights, judges fights, refs fights. And um, especially with my experience continuing to grow in Japan and how much I love how the, the way they judge the fights because they judge the fight as a whole. If you look at Andre Feely in this fight here, as a whole, you can make the argument he wins this fight because of what happened with that submission attempt. He was the one who was closest between the two gentlemen or the two fighters in finishing this fight. That is the purpose of fighting. I know it's a sport. I know it's mixed martial arts. But the whole purpose is to finish your opponent, not winning the scorecards, to finish your opponent. And if you look at what Andre Feely did, he did more to try and finish his opponent. I mean, I, I was sitting there watching this fight, guys, and thinking to myself, well, if we break it down the way we do it now in the unified rules of mixed martial arts and it's scored on a 10-point uh, must system, well, if one guy lands one punch in the first round, a jab, fine, you win that round. In the second round, some guy almost submits his opponent where the guy's on defense for a good three or four minutes, he wins that round. Third round, his opponent, who won the first round with the jab, scores just one jab, in the second or in the third round, he gets that round. So he lands two jabs and potentially wins the fight two rounds to one. That's why I like the whole, you know, score the fight on a whole. Who won the fight overall? I get it. Unified Rules of MMA, North America, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Or it's actually in Europe as well, whatever. But I like how the Japanese do it, guys. I really, really do. 
Other great performances on this show included uh, Davison Figueredo defeating John Moraga. I mean, he is, he is now a name to be reckoned with in that division. Eric Anders with a head kick, a very violent head kick. You had James Krause, who is sneakily becoming a name. I mean, he just jumps back and forth between welterweight and lightweight all the time. So it's really hard to say, but he has quietly won five fights in a row. And a couple of those losses you could put into question if you were to ask him. James, what performances stood out to you on these prelims? Uh, well, not really the prelims, the undercard. You also had Mickey Gall over George Sullivan, Joanne Calderwood debuting at Flyweight finally. You had Ronnie Yaya winning with a heel hook in about 90 seconds. I mean, there's lots to talk about here. I think the fight that everyone is referencing from the weekend, uh, and they should be, is that Corey Sanhagen fight against uh, Yuri Alcantara. I mean, this was a fight where Corey Sanhagen looked like he was going to get finished in the first round, somehow survives that submission, ends up coming back, and the idiot referee doesn't step in and stop the fight a little bit sooner against Alcantara. I mean, that was bad refereeing. And, of course, the referee wasn't back for the rest of the night because he just didn't go in there and you know stop the fight. But this is a fight that everyone should be talking about a lot more because Sanhagen was done, man. I mean, I've seen fights where it's been stopped you know, like that and he was able to, to persevere and get it done and this is a guy that uh, you know kind of just came out of nowhere he you know got a last minute fight for the UFC ended up taking out Austin Arnett drops down to uh, bantamweight in this fight and gets a win over a really tough veteran in Ural Alcantara. I think Sanhagen's the guy that really stole the show in the prelims because that fight was entertaining I don't remember a back and forth fight like that recently like a like a one round fight where a guy is getting so dominated and then he's able to come back it was uh, it was pretty incredible to watch well entertaining and disgusting yeah to say yeah because that was – listen, I don't want to take shots at referees, guys. You know that. I, I, I don't do that. But when a, when a fighter is coaching the referee to stop the fight and there's a shot of Sal – what's his name? Sal D'Amato, the, the, yeah, the judge. Mm-hmm. He goes like this, looking at the ref like that was caught on camera. Like what is – I mean – did did Alcantara do something to this guy, the ref's family or some of that that we don't know about? Or like, was he just like looking for, like, it, that was bad, man. That was really, really bad. You got to be in there for the fighter. Like, you you got to enforce the rules, make sure no one's breaking any rules, but you're there for fighter safety. And and if I'm Alcantara, man, holy smokes, I can just imagine what his head still feels like today. That was, that, that was terrible. That, that was, I mean, I hope that referee had had the opportunity to sit down with the athletic commissioner and go through what needs to be improved for himself uh, to be a better referee because uh, I'm sure he never had any ill will towards Alcantara or in general, but man, that, that was, that's, we don't need to see that in mixed martial arts, let alone on a Fox sports two broadcast. I want to talk a little bit about Joanne Calderwood. She got a win and this has been a long time coming. She was given a 115 pound fight right before they announced the flyweight division. And she was one of the biggest proponents of this division, even fought there in 2016 against Valerie Letourneau. And things just had not went well for her since trying to go back to 115. She missed weight against uh, Calvillo. She had lost to Andrade. It just wasn't working for her. And Joe, something that we had mentioned, I mean, 2013 seems so long ago. She's not a 26, 27 year old prospect anymore. She'll be 32 this year. James, what did you think of Calderwood at flyweight? Can she fulfill the potential this far into the game that that so many expected her to have? 
I, I believe she can. And I think that one of the big moves that she made ahead of this fight, which has paid dividends, and we saw that on Saturday, is the the move to Las Vegas, training at Syndicate MMA. You know, she was at TriStar before. Not a lot of uh, training partners there as far as females, so she wasn't getting the, the looks that she you know needed for uh, for the UFC. And now she goes over to Syndicate where there's lots of bodies. There's lots of fighters just coming down to Vegas using the PI, so she's getting different looks. And I think it really showed in this fight. And I think there is potential there. You know, a lot of her losses or, or you know, some of the ones that you look at, they were there, there were stuff going on outside the cage. You remember that fight against Moroz uh, where she lost in the first round. I believe she had broken up with her significant other heading into the fight, like who's also her coach. So there's things like that, that you have to look at. And just the fact that, you know, her last two losses, we have to put the context in there. Jessica Andrade, Cynthia Calvillo, two of the best fighters in the strawweight division. So to me, I think that uh, this was a win that she needed. And the fact that it is flyweight, it really opens things up. And I, I think age is just a number uh, in MMA sometimes. And uh, I think uh, I think she's, you know, kind of turning the corner at the right time. And I expect big things ahead for her in the flyweight division. Also on this show, man, Ellenberger shouldn't have been given this fight in general. <laughs> this was a bad idea. I, I I was shocked when he got, I think maybe it was his last fight. But it seems like as long as this show has went on, we were talking about this ahead of his Matt Brown fight that he actually won, Joe. We were like, man, I don't know about this one. At that point, he had lost five of six. He was able to extend his career. And off of that, they gave him four more fights, all of which he lost by KO, TKO. Brian Barberina loves nothing more than to ruin the dreams of either the UFC or fighters. He's done it with with numerous numerous guys from Morley Alves to Sage Northcutt to now Ellenberger. But Despite the impressive performance by Barbarina, I don't know how impressive it is with Jake Ellenberger at this point. Joe, what are your memories of Jake Ellenberger's career? Because you look back, you look back, and while these wins may have not meant as much at the time, it's pretty impressive. Matt Brown, Josh Koscheck, Nate Marquardt, Jay Huron, Jake Shields, Diego Sanchez, Fightful alumni, Sean Pearson, Doomsday Howard, Mike Pyle, Pat Healy. He's got some wins under his belt, Joe. Yeah, well, first and foremost, that fight um, on Saturday night versus Barbarina was simply a a gift from the UFC. Not a gift to get knocked out, but a, you know what, you're from Nebraska. Fight here, you lose, you're going to retire. I think everyone pretty much knew that ahead of time, that if he was to lose this fight, he's going to say goodbye uh, in his home state. So, um, you know, he's from Omaha, gone. He's He, he's, he fought, he lost, and I mean, even that the, the way he fell down, uh, after he got back up, I don't even think anything hit him. He was still so rocked from earlier on. Um, so, but kudos to him. I, I've had a variety of good experiences, some great experiences with Jake Ellenberger, most specifically you know, during the time when we were in California numerous times, even in Vegas, um, you know, connecting with Mark Munoz, going to the gym, getting some uh, one-on-one interviews. Uh, we, we almost had a 30-minute show built with Jake Ellenberger when he fought Sean Pearson uh, at the Rogers Center. Uh, for UFC 129, it's so much content with Ellenberger, and you know we had dinner, we had lunches, all, all those guys back with, when uh, Christoph Szczynski was in there, Mark Munoz again. It, it, you know, Jake's a good guy, great guy, and 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 didn't matter where I was, what city we were in, what part of North America we were around. That guy always took two seconds out of his day to stop what he was doing. Starbucks scenarios. Hey Joe, what's going on? Hey Jake, what's going on? How's your brother Joe doing? Blah blah. So I got nothing but mad respect. Uh, for Jake Ellenberger. I think he was a fantastic guy. It's just that, you know what? As we know, father time catches up with these guys. This was a juggernaut. This guy, you know, nicknamed the juggernaut for a reason. Back in the day when he first came in the UFC, 
he was one of my favorite fighters to watch because he had a stalking mentality with his striking. He was very, uh, not Tiago Alves-like, but similar in terms of, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to cut the cage off. I'm going to make sure your back is against the cage, and I'm going to unleash a barrage. He was great when he did that, but father time catches up with everybody, guys. There comes a time when the brain cannot handle the punishment anymore, and even the simplest of shots that guys used to walk through shut the body down. James, it's safe to say we can just blame all this on Edmund Tverdian. That seems like the easiest. Well, yeah, that or I think the Rory fight, for whatever reason, he was never the same after that. And granted, he fought really tough competition after that. You know, Robbie Lawler, Calvin Gaslam, like he had probably the toughest road in the welterweight division at a certain point. But he just he was not the same. And I think, yeah, switching camps, of course, uh, you know, everything that happened with Rain shutting down with Munoz and him going over to Edmonds. I think it's just a a well-known fact. Now, if you go train with Edmond, your career is probably not going to end up too well. Has anybody uh, ever benefited from that? No, and I think that guy from Contender Series is probably the next one who's going to get exploded yeah. at some point, you know? So, but anyways, that's another note. But uh, one, one thing I want to mention quickly, I thought Joe was a little too kind on the UFC here. Uh, I thought this was a stupid matchup because why are you giving him Barbarina, who has knockout power? Give Ellenberger a guy who's going to wrestle him or something. Show a little bit of life. I get you want to do the send-off. I get Ellenberger probably should have retired three or four fights ago. But give him someone who doesn't have knockout power. I mean, Barbarina had knockouts on his resume. I know he had the layoff. This, to me, was just dumb matchmaking, in my opinion. Give, give Ellenberger a vet, someone that's notable that that's going to make it somewhat competitive and give him a send-off. But no one needed to see him knocked out in the first round in Nebraska in his home state. That just wasn't necessary. And a little tidbit, too, Barbarina's actually retired two Ellenbergers. If you remember, Ellenberger's brother was wow. also in the UFC, and Barbarina retired him as well. He hasn't fought since. I didn't realize that. There you go. Yeah, I got well, no Joe is – Joe is – he's only- on. I think in terms of the matchmaking, could they have given him someone, um, you know – a veteran a little easier a more competitive fight yeah i got no problem with that but i guess in terms of what they were thinking of just getting in there because again barbarina is the you know it's 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 not really a passing of the torch fight but you get mm-hmm. what i'm saying where it's like you know what the young buck taking out the old veteran he gets he, he, that's a name on his record a highlight reel that they can put on there they're also looking at this from a business perspective not necessarily of oh you know what let's let's be too kind to jake Knock this guy out and give Barbarina a highlight reel. Looks good whenever we start promoting his next fights. It's true. James, do you happen to know why Joe Ellenberger isn't fighting anymore? I, I just you mentioning that made me realize he hasn't fought in almost four years, and he was one and one in the UFC. I know he had like four or five fights canceled leading up to a couple of his fights. He couldn't get in the cage for a while, but. I believe it was injury related that he wasn't able to come back. Um, I don't know if it was specifically from that fight or a training thing, but just uh, people that I've spoken with, it sounds like it, that that is the reason why he's been away. Um, you know, so that that's that's kind of what I've been hearing. I don't know if that's the official reason, but I, I would sort of think it was something career ending that, or or maybe he found something you know outside the cage that was more appealing than getting punched in the face. But you never know. Well, don't forget he does have the health condition that could rear up at any time. That's true. Right? Yeah, so yeah it's, actually, it's, yeah. That's probably one of the main reasons because, I mean, at one point he was spending um, $440,000 in, in, you know, drugs to make him better. So it's, it's, that could probably be one of the reasons there. Uh, Lived his dream, got in there, but yeah. Um, I think that's a good guy too. Funny guy. We're starting to see fights roll out for January, which seems wild to even think as it is. 92 degrees where I live right now. We're getting fights announced for January. But for the UFC, they have an ESPN deal starting up in January and are probably looking to add some juice to that. It still remains to be seen how much juice will be put into these shows. And I mean, they're going to pay a lot more than some pay-per-views would even pay them. 
Wonder Boy, Robbie Lawler. This is a, a good fight for name value that could end up being a very boring fight, could end up being a very exciting fight. James Lynch, what do you think of the booking here and the idea to announce it this far ahead, setting up those ESPN cards, rather? Well, I've actually heard some rumblings about this fight that might change uh, your tune on the whole matchup. Uh, What what I'm hearing is that this fight isn't done. It's not a done deal. Mm. Um, I'm hearing that this was a a move by the UFC, and we're seeing it more often now, guys. I don't know if you see this from certain outlets. Why do they keep doing this? Well, I'm, I'm breaking. I'm breaking some news here. You know, I, I you know just just from people I've talked to, um, it sounds to me like they are releasing fights ahead of time so they can put pressure on the fighter to sign. We're seeing that with with certain things, and I know Chris Taylor from BJPen.com talked to Wonder Boy, and he confirmed this. He said the fight is not signed yet. Now we're going to talk about the matchup itself. It's awesome. Obviously, I love it. But uh, I'm hearing more and more now that the UFC is trying to do this, where they're trying to get matchups, you know, leak through a certain, you know, outlet or whatever, and and then it's it's going public. And I think that's what you're seeing because if you look at MMA fighting, they haven't confirmed this fight yet. You know, there's there's one outlet that's confirming it. You, I don't have to say who it is, but you have to just, you know, look yourselves. And I think that's that's a strategy that they're doing because they've also announced that Paige Van Zandt's fight against Ostevich. And I know Paige came out and said she's not ready either. So yeah. there's a couple interesting things happening there. But let's, for argument's sake, say that this fight is happening. It's it's the fight to make. I mean, Wonderboy, he's had his chance at the title. Whether you thought he beat Darren Till or not, I personally did think he did beat Darren Till. But in general, it doesn't change the fact he has an L on his resume. He needs to get some redemption here. You got to do it against a big name. Robbie Lawler is that big name. And Lawler as well had a not so good performance against RDA. He needs a bounce. This is a fight where two guys need to really uh, have a good fight here to really show where they belong in the division. I think this is perfect matchmaking if it does end up happening. So, I mean, you mentioned about how how this came out via a media outlet. We see it in UFC. The UFC straight up officially announces fights like this all the time. They even did it for Durandamy and Cyborg on UFC Tonight at one point a couple years ago, and Durandamy and Cyborg had not agreed. I think that's when Cyborg rejected the fight. And then, of course, we ran into the situation with Durandamy. Joe, ESPN deal, they always start off with with a banger. That's how that's how they always do it. I mean, remember the Fox deal started with Kane Velazquez Jr. Dos Santos on a show that wasn't even on their agreement. They just did it, and it was a one fight card. What are you expecting out of the ESPN deal as far as fight quality goes? Um, as far as fight quality goes, um, I, I don't think. I mean, we're going to see some good fights to kick things off. That's just the way it's going to be. They're not going to sit there and put you know garbage fights on for their first few events this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears call click granger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done. For ESPN or each different medium within ESPN, each one of them are going to be stacked. The problem is we're still in a situation when it comes to the Ultimate Fighting Championship or MMA in general per se, um, where basically fights are not relevant. Fights don't mean anything. There's too, sorry, there's too many fights that have no relevance, that don't mean anything, that nobody's going to sit there and talk about at the bar unless it's very, very important. Um, when you start getting fights where they mean something, rankings are involved. Uh, you know, you and I have talked till we're blue in the face about tournament formats, and you know we're we're seeing Bellator do it right now. I mean, take a look at this 
Uh, and I hate to bring up Ryzen nonstop because I'm still, you know, a bunch of us are still freaking out regarding the card they announced. I mean, with, with that main event, um, it's just ridiculous. Like Horiguchi taking on uh, Tenshin Nasukawa. That's just crazy. It, it feels like a, a New Year's Eve card happening in September. The beauty of the Ryzen events is that they're not every single weekend. So every single event, every fight pretty much matters. Now, are they going to go to a ranking system? Probably not. They, they enjoy the Grand Prix uh, and doing stuff like that. The UFC has that opportunity to continue. And you and I talked about it, Sean. I know, James, you have, if you've seen the podcast where we talked about maybe with ESPN, they'll start taking things more seriously and actually book fights that mean something because ESPN is much different than Fox. I don't see it. I don't believe it. Uh, I've spoken to a few people at the UFC in the higher echelons there, uh, and they're saying, nah, pretty much it's going to be similar to what you're seeing on Fox. We're not going to be trimming down the, the roster, or there's no talk of trimming down the roster just yet, which is unfortunate, not for the fighters. I wish the fighters could make as much money as they could. It's unfortunate for the product because with so many fighters competing against one another, the fights have to mean something, and people will tune in when they don't mean anything um, people will not tune in. Like I, I gave my example of the World Cup, James. You, I don't know if you were on that, but if you saw that podcast, mm-hmm. I watched every single game of the World Cup minus two. The only games I didn't watch, one, because I, I forgot to PVR it, but two, <laughs> the second one I didn't watch because it had no relevance to the standings and neither team was going to move on to the second round, to the knockout stage. So therefore, me, a huge soccer fan, lives and breathes MMA and soccer, I chose not to watch a World Cup game because it had no relevance. Now, us guys, and Sean and I talked about this with, with Jimmy Van at the, at the Rogers Center. It is our job to know as much as we can about every single one of these fighters competing and blah, blah. It's a challenge for us, and we get paid yeah. to do this. The average person outside, uh-uh, they don't care one bit, guys. They don't care. They want to know who's fighting for belts, who's the champion, who's next in line. And and for the what for the Sean Ross Sapp freaks, uh, the guys that watch uh, the fight pass for the ladies. Other than that, that that's what we're watching here. <laughs> I really do think that's uh, one of their mentalities. Is that some of those, some of the weirder fans will be like women's fights. Let's let's get that sub. Now we mentioned not knowing fighters. This came into effect last week when UFC fighter Bryce Mitchell, who I admittedly have probably watched fight multiple times, but. Did not remember him off the top of my head. Kind of got out ahead of the story when he announced that he was doing some work around the house or wherever it may be, and he had a board over his head with a drill attached to his boot. or to Parental his advisory in full effect right now. <laughs> and he says, quote, So I was going to train today, but I ripped my nutsack in half. I'm about to get stitched up. I was holding a board over my head with a drill in my pants. I was sizing up the board and the drill went off and tangled my nuts up in it. I dropped the board and reversed the drill and untangled my nutsack, but they was ripped in half. I'm serious too. I obviously can't post a pick, but when my nuts are sealed back up, I'm going to come train again. I think a high kick would re-rip them. And if I hear any shitty puns about how this is nutty or screwed up, I ain't talking to you for about a month. If you're going to drop a pun to make fun of me, at least put some thought into it. End quote. James, do you have any inside information on this situation? <laughs> no, I don't. Not, not on this one, unfortunately. 
<laughs> I, I, I do not have, uh, you know, the inside scoop on this, but uh, Bryce is, that's Bryce, man. I, the first time I interviewed him, I think it was maybe the first or second time I spoke to him. This is a guy talking about eating squirrels. Like he would actually like kill squirrels and use the meat and eat them. So this, well, this is Bryce well, Mitchell. If I were him, I'd stay clear of squirrels because they're going after the nuts and the nuts are Saw that one coming from a mile away, SRS. Uh, I'm going to need you to reach out to Bryce for the follow-up to this. We got to have the story. Uh, Joe, what is the worst scrotum accident you've heard of in the ring in MMA? Uh, the cup, a guy getting need cup cracking and then closing oh! uh, on the testicular region of the fighter to the point where doctors had to cover him up, reach in there and try and pop open the cup and free his, uh, his genitals. Let's just say cups can be painful. Anyway, if you get the wrong one, they can you know, be Muay Thai cup, man. You got to use a steel Muay Thai cup. Do not under any circumstances. James as Canadians mm-hmm. were never supposed to train with hockey cups. Nope. Don't do it. I mean, I remember the first time I used a cup was in MMA. Didn't use one in any other sport that I played. And, you know, I would get arm barred by people and you would feel the cup drive into your elbow sometimes. It hurts. But the first time I had a cup on and did an arm bar, it did damage to me. It really clamped things down. Whoo! Get well soon, Bryce Mitchell. My God. Uh, in other unfortunate news and far less funny, we had Andrea Lee. This situation with her husband, Donnie Aaron. Oh, boy. So Donnie Aaron, if he sounds familiar, it's because he was the guy who got caught in photos with uh, Nazi imagery tattooed on him. He was given offers to have it covered up for free by the UFC and by others and rejected those overtures, saying that it would look more redneck than it does already. Keep in mind, he says that a cover-up would look more redneck than a Nazi, Nazi imagery. Well, that's strike one, two, and three already. You're already out. It just so happened the catcher dropped the ball, and you had a chance to run to first base. What does he do? He gets caught domestically abusing his wife, UFC fighter Andrea A.K. Lee, who supported him throughout this the aforementioned situation. Apparently, uh, he tried to burn Andrea Lee, grabbed her by the throat. This has been going on for years, according to Andy Wynn. I wish I could say this is a surprise. It's not. It's unfortunate. I know that people have within MMA have reached out to Andrea Lee for years about Donnie Aaron, and especially since the, the Nazi situation developed uh, james i understand you, you do have some information on this yeah a little bit of insight uh, you mentioned andy Wynn there I actually spoke to her today joe's familiar with her she's going to be fighting on that upcoming rising card uh, like you mentioned there at the end of the month end of next month i should say and uh, they are actually heading to michigan right now to train at scorpion fighting systems uh for andy's fight so andrea's going with her and uh you know i kind of asked andy just uh you know how's andrea doing i guess she's you know not really talking to many people understandably but uh yeah going to michigan just getting out of that environment i think that's a great move um you know they're both going to go up there and train with you know amanda bobby cooper and uh you know alicia zadapella 
who uh, fights an Invicta. So they're going to get some different looks and mainly just get out of there. The whole situation is just unfortunate. Um, you know, I've interviewed Andrea for years, just a total sweetheart. And it's just, uh, you hate to see something like this happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's the weirdest thing about this is the fact that not even just that, you know, Andrea was married to him and everything else and they lived in a house, but that, you know, she was his, he was uh, her coach as well. So it, it really sort of, uh, you know, sort of puts your day to day upside down. And it seems like they're, they're moving in, in the right direction, getting out of that situation. Uh, as far as I know, Andrea is still staying at the house. Donnie just hasn't been found at this point. So she is still there, but they're going to Michigan in the meantime. I believe they're leaving tomorrow. So uh, good for them to, to get out of that and good for them to uh, get on with a, with a new camp. And maybe this will be a permanent thing. We, we don't know, but uh, obviously sending my best to Andrea and her family through this uh, difficult time. Yeah, an arrest warrant has been issued. He is an all-time piece of shit to to, <laughs> yes. to emerge from the situation that he emerged from and to still, I mean, all-time piece of shit level to uh, abuse any woman, to abuse anybody, to assault anybody. But after all this, keep in mind, she's his meal ticket. She is, He's his life is about to change categorically. I don't know. I, I don't know a way that uh, hopefully Andrea does not return to this situation. Joe, any thoughts on this? Uh, I'm not under, you know, I, I don't have any illusions or delusions that I'm a domestic abuse specialist and can advise uh, Miss Lee on this, but she needs to, she needs to get out. She needs as many people around her to, to get her to understand he is not the only man on this planet for her. She can have the pick of the litter. Okay. She's a good girl, smart, tough as nails, athlete, beautiful to be stuck mentally with a guy. Cause it's all mental for her. Okay. It's all mental. In my opinion, it's all mental. She needs to get out and need to, to realize that this guy, um, you know, is not a good guy. I, I almost, I mean, I, I genuinely feel bad now going back to talk about that tattoo incident uh, and giving the guy the benefit of the doubt, giving him the fact that he did spend time in jail and he said that's when he got it and he's a changed man and blah, blah, because everything he said in that post uh, to apologize and to say that I'm a changed man, I made some mistakes, all you guys need to do is trust me, blah, 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 only for this to surface. So uh, I, I'm just going to echo you know, Sean Ross Sapp's sentiments about this guy. Um, what, what, hopefully they catch him. They put him away for whatever, and, and she's able to move on from her life and realize that there's different coaches out there. There's different camps. There's different ways of living your life. You don't have to be trapped uh, in a relationship of this nature to continue to move on. There's, there's, she needs to look at her scenario from a third party's perspective and think to herself, if someone came to me with this information or if I saw somebody going through this, what would I tell them? And I guarantee you she wouldn't – should guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure she would say, you need to get out. Don't stay in there. She deserves a lot better. No one deserves to be treated like that. Any form of abuse is just silly. It's ridiculous. And this guy has proven time and time again that it, it, it's cyclical. It continues to happen. It's, it's, it's a cycle for this guy. He, he needs to go away somewhere where he can get either you know rehab, put in jail, whatever it is, but he needs to stay away from her because it's, it's just detrimental to her. We also have bad news for Bellator. There, you have or Bellator two hundred three viewership three hundred and ninety one thousand. These are abysmal numbers. One ninety eight did five hundred eighty one thousand on Paramount, one hundred sixty nine on CMT. 
Bellator 199 did 453 on Power Paramount, 152 on CMT, and they've hovered between 400 and 460. This one dropped below 400,000. Joe, if Bellator is not run by Viacom, do they still have a TV deal? No, no, I don't think so either. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, depending on who the other provider would be, um, I, I think what's happened. Okay. Again, with Bellator right now, uh, James, I, I don't think we've ever had your thoughts on this before, but with Bellator right now, it's hard enough to be on the UFC roster and get relevant fights. Now you're talking about a promotion that's not the UFC on big-time television per se uh, with names, many names that people don't know about. There are names on there that have migrated from the UFC and some that they've built up. Uh, you know, it's Sean Ross Sapp's favorite guys, the, the, the Pitbull brothers, of course. Uh, the Roy McDonald's, um, you know, uh, Musasi, guys like that. They have names. You want to see them fight. It's those other names that may not be, um, that, that aren't aware with the casual fan. And if they're headlining shows and those shows, the main cards are stacked with those names that nobody knows of, your ratings are not going to be good. You have to build those stars. And they've always had the ability, Bellator has, to build those stars via tournaments. They just have to really, I think they should get behind that tournament format um, and, and really build it. It's just, you know, I, Scott Coker, I'm not telling what's, you know, Scott Coker what to do. That guy fills up stadiums in San Jose, so arenas in San Jose. So he does know what he's doing. I don't know how many, if his hands are tied per se by the Viacom executives, but yeah, you, you can't continue with these ratings. It's not going to look good. Yeah, and just to just to add on to that, uh, just to just give my thoughts. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things I don't like that Bellator is doing. One is that you know they have tape delayed content, which is ridiculous in 2018. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on, like that's that's got to get solved. Do put it on a streaming app, whatever. You, you got to figure that out. So that that's number one. Number two, I don't like their strategy of where they will you know fill up a main card with a couple notable names, and then the undercard just local fighters. I know in in a lot of you know uh, markets like even the UFC, they'll do that if they need a short notice fight. But I think it's dangerous to do that because. Really, you're 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 not giving people a reason to watch these cards that are you know of the uh, that, that are you know the live audience or whatever. I mean, obviously the live audience will tune in, but the viewers at home will not have any. Like, if a big finish happens on the undercard, no one cares because they just don't know who it is. Like, uh, like I don't know if you guys are aware, but like Eric Anders fought for Bellator like two years ago, and they just never. It was just like a local. It was in a market that was close to Eric Anders. Like, can you imagine now, like a guy who just fought this weekend and headlined against Machida before that, they let go after one fight, and Eric won in the first round. It was like a quick finish. They that that's the problem though they don't they don't focus on building new stars they're they're bringing old guys you know through the prospects they do sign are wrestlers and that's great and everything when you go to those big wrestling markets but in general like they just they haven't put a lot of uh, you know um muscle behind building up prospects and i'm with joe i like the tournaments michael chandler was built through a tournament it was the fight against eddie alvarez that made him a star that was the one where he ended up winning and uh, you know he made it to the finals and and that's i think that's what gets that's why people like PFL right now because that's something where you're getting these mix of vets and prospects and you're seeing them on display because they're matching them up properly but you know i looked at this bellator 203 card cuz i couldn't even remember which one that was and the main event was Alessio Sakara against Jamie Sloan like it's sorry yeah. but i i'm not even invested in that i don't care about Alessio Sakara i like Pitbull and Weichel that's a great card but the problem with them is that they stack these cards with some of these bigger names that they get from the UFC, and then they don't have enough to compensate for the other cards. That's why you have, you know, Andre Koreshkov against Vlaso Blakoyevich. I mean, like, you know, Will Fleury is on here. Like, I, I mean, these are guys that aren't household names. So I think Bellator, especially in a day and age where you need to be invested in the storylines, they're, they're really not going about it the right way. 
Also, they've got the new shiny toy, DAZN. We'll see how long that goes, how how long that works. But, I mean, we have heard positive things about that. We'll see how that ends up working out. Announced last week, Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes officially booked. This was the fight to make, James. Yeah, it certainly is. Brings some interest in the featherweight division. They've got this featherweight ultimate fighter going on, uh, you know, this Thursday. So, you know, good timing of having this fight because there's going to be eyeballs on this uh, featherweight title matchup. And finally, a legit threat to Chris Cyborg. I mean, if you look at some of the other fights she's had, yeah, you thought maybe there was a chance when she fought Holly Holm. But realistically, Amanda Nunes has a chance to beat Chris Cyborg, in my opinion. I think she's proven that with her dominance in the in the bantamweight division. And I'm excited for this one. I think this is the right the right fight to make. And hopefully this means that they're going to open up the division. But but it is interesting because if I'm not mistaken, I think Chris only has a fight or two left in her contract. So they, I think this, they did this on purpose to see what the interest is. And if the interest is good, which it potentially could be, I really have no idea. Then they'll decide if they want to build up that division, but who knows at this point, Joe, what do you think about this one? I mean, it featherweight doesn't exist. Me likey. I love this fight, man. I cannot wait for this fight to go down because we're going to find out something for real um, with Cyborg. Does she still have it versus elite talent to the point where we're like, man, no one's going to beat her anytime soon? Or are we going to see a passing of the torch where a fellow Brazilian takes out um, you know, the, the greatest women fighter of all time? I mean, the most vicious one ever in Cyborg. Uh, and I've, I've been uh, in a cage with Cyborg up at Big Bear with Tito Ortiz, and she's a monster. I seen her pick up dudes and she's caught in triangle chokes and she picked up dudes. And I was like, okay, I'm not training with her. No way. I'm not even going to roll with her. And Tito was mocking me. Uh, you've heard that story before, Sean. I think James, you probably heard that when we came back yeah. from um, with all the guys uh, at Sportsnet. So she's been the greatest for a very long time. And it's just been difficult for her to find opponents because of the weight division she's in. Now we have Amanda Nunes moving up. So all the pressure is going to be on Cyborg here to win this fight, to prove that she's still the best. Uh, not just in the division, but of all time. And if if Amanda Nunes can shock the world here, not shock the world, but at least defeat Cyborg, man, th- th- this should hopefully build her into a star. I don't know what the UFC has plans for her, but, man, it, it, it's a fight I cannot wait to see. Just to answer a few questions um, that I've got running up in this noggin. So I'm excited for it. Unfortunate news, uh, Kid Yamamoto revealed that he is battling cancer. Joe, he was one of the original great fighters of these lighter weight divisions. Uh, this is a tragic story. Yeah, he said, listen, I, I talked to some peeps in Japan uh, yesterday uh, and early this morning just to see you know, what, what it's like. It's big news over there. It is big mm-hmm. news because Kid's a very popular public figure, uh, especially with his nephew Urson competing and his sister Miyu competing now. With Ryzen, um, you know, everybody wants wants Kid to come back. Uh, but right now he said, look, man, I got to deal with this first. Uh, I'm going to beat this and I'm going to come back and fight. That's his mentality. He wants to come back and fight. Um, I don't know what Ryzen plans for the September 30th broadcast. I'm sure something will be done. Um, you know, Frank and I, every time we see him, we're, we've always, you know, we're always saying what's up, how's it going, blah, blah. Uh, even Ensign Inouye, um, we'll probably be talking to Ensign probably soon or as soon as we get down there. Uh, for the next show, just to see if we can figure something out with Kid. Again, um, you know, his health is paramount. You know, he may not have time for Frank and I or for anyone in general, but look for something special to be done by Ryzen just to give him some props and some love because he's got fighters that he's building up. And the crazy part of all this is Horiguchi 
who lost his master, his karate master, and they showed a beautiful montage at the beginning of the broadcast for the last Ryzen event and how emotional that situation was for Horiguchi. Don't forget, Horiguchi came from that Killer Bee's camp as well. He spent time at Killer Bee uh, under the tutelage um, uh, of, of the whole team and Kid Yamamoto. And there was that – they had a dinner scene when they were both younger when um, you know Horiguchi said, hey, man, I think I'm leaving. I want to go to the States uh, and get some training out there. And Kid replies, he goes, let me guess, American top team. It was like he already knew. So a lot of storylines in Japan about Kid Yamamoto. But this guy here was a fantastic fighter back in the day. When uh, you know K1 was having those MMA events, it was Kid that was shining. I mean, that guy there was fantastic, and he was a bad, bad dude. I know his stint in the UFC was wasn't exactly stellar. It wasn't stellar at all, but um, a very bright guy, a very you know a funny guy. And uh, I'll, I'll say this: don't mess with that guy on the streets. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely hoping for the best for Kid Yamamoto. Next week on this show, we'll be previewing the upcoming UFC pay per view. James, you were able to speak to Valentina Shevchenko ahead of her fight. Yes, I was. Spoke to her on Sunday. Uh, you know, there's just still this weird narrative, and she even talked about it in the interview, about how Nico Montano might not show up for the fight. I don't know why. This, this whole thing that happened with her injury a couple months ago, and, you know, they wanted that fight in uh, in Canada and, and all that. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I think Nico is being overlooked uh, in this fight. It, clearly, she is on the betting lines. I believe Valentina... Uh, not 100% sure on this, but I, I'm not, I believe she's the highest uh, betting favorite heading in uh, who's not a, a, a champion. So she's the, you know, the, the biggest challenger favorite. Yeah, she's the, she's the minus 1250. You're bang on. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, which is crazy when, when you think about it. And I get it. You know, Valentina, you know, her resume speaks for itself. And even the fight against Nunez, it's a close fight. And Montano fought easier competition on the Ultimate Fighter than, than Valentina has. But I don't know. I think this is an intriguing matchup. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of times when you write off a fighter like this, we see, uh, you know, a surprise. So I'm excited for the matchup. But uh, yeah, just Valentina. One of the interesting things she told me in the interview, and you guys can see it on Fightful.com uh, and obviously on our YouTube channel as well. But she's uh, doing some training in Florida specifically because of the fact she wants to get training that will mimic. Uh, Nico a little bit so you know she spends a lot of time in Colorado didn't do that for this camp normally she trains with Rose Nami Yunus a little bit uh, you know splitting time between Texas where she lives and in Colorado didn't do that for this camp training in Florida instead at a couple of the different camps out there so we'll see if that pays off she says per opponent which I find interesting because you know when you think about it when you're winning why would you change anything but for her she does it per per opponent so the reason she's out in Florida is for Nico so we'll see if it pays off but she's in good spirits and uh, pretty uh, pretty solid interview uh, heading into that one and I brought up Yoanny and Jacek just because there is some history there. Um, you know, I, I don't think we'll see Joanna move up to flyweight. She still feels like she's the strawweight champion. Don't even get me started on that. But yeah, uh, weird. You know, it's it's still a matchup I hope we do see down the line just because they're both really intense and really good strikers. So uh, despite the fact that I am picking Valentina Shevchenko to win that, if the odds are like 1250, I'm putting five on it because banana peels do exist and Shevchenko could slip on one in that cage. Uh, you just never know. That is definitely worth putting five on. To close out the show, (laughs) Bruce Buffer and Nate Diaz have had this war of words. And Bruce has kind of stepped back on it a little bit. But he said that Nate Diaz has had all this, all these issues. I don't want to say issues, but doesn't seem to respect Dana White. And Nate Diaz didn't take kindly to it, James. He said, uh, Nate Diaz says, uh, get off the UFC's nuts. You're bowing down right now, telling me to bow down. Fuck that. You keep bowing down. I bow down to no one ever. This seems like, 
when Jay from Jay and Silent Bob found the internet and he's like, you are the ones that are the ball lickers. <laughs> like, that's what, it's what it seems like here. And Bruce Buffer backed off of that. I personally think Bruce Buffer was a little out of line in this, even though you know, Nate doesn't fight. I don't think he deserves some of the fights that he asks for, but I mean, he is a draw, but at the same time, that's a bad look for Bruce Buffer. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't like the comments. I thought, and then you see him backtracking now. I just think it kind of, he comes across and looks like too much of a company man. And you know, at the end of the day, trying to go against Nate Diaz and the fans. I mean, this is the Diaz brothers have the most loyal fans I've ever seen. Like, if, if you if you ask, you know, a typical Diaz fan, you think the way they talk, you think that they'd never lost a fight either, Nick or Nate. But yeah, um, I, I just I just think it's not a good idea, and especially when you talk about fighter pay as well, it's always an iffy subject because uh, you know I think that these guys could get paid a little bit more. And for Diaz, he does sort of have that god status, uh, you know, sort of speak because he does have the win over McGregor. So I just thought Bruce was a little bit out of line there. And, and again, it just, it came across really bad. And anytime you go against Nate Diaz, unless you're Conor McGregor, it's, it's never going to come off very well. I was pulling up the, the actual quote. Buffer said, Nate, I heard you made seven or more million dollars in your last fight. I don't want to hear you complaining about being underpromoted by the UFC. You should be thanking the UFC and bowing to Dana White every time you see him. Ari Emanuel, Patrick Whitesell. You've got seven or more dollars or seven, or more million dollars before gross taxes, maybe much more, which I love knowing that you have, Nate. Please, I don't want to hear any more complaints. End quote. Joe? Uh, I think it's all clickbait. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> For his think- podcast. Well, not his podcast. It was, I think, from uh, TMZ. Yeah, I think if you look at the way Bruce Buffer speaks, uh, and, and not the Bruce Buffer that you hear announcing fighters, the Bruce Buffer in general, you ever have a chance to call have a conversation with him. He's a pretty sarcastic guy. Yeah. Uh, he's also funny. And it would be so easy to take something he said, type it out, and come up with your own version of how he meant what he said. And I cannot see Bruce Buffer being that type of guy to, to, to you know add gasoline to any sort of Diaz flames, which doesn't take much to light those guys up, no pun intended. Um, th- these are guys that are just, they'll, they'll lose their minds in a heartbeat because that's who they are. That's what they do. And I can't see Bruce Buffer, Bruce Buffer coming out and saying something of that without be, without it being taken out of context. Now we can read that and be like, dude, what are you crazy? You're going to say that about a Diaz bow down and blah, blah. It could just, it could have been something in jest where he basically said, Hey, Nate Diaz, man, you made $7 million. I mean, that was me. I'd be buying down a Dana white. It could have been in jest. It could have been sarcastic. Type that out read it, and it probably sounds like, dude, you better bow down to Dana White and all them. You see what I'm saying? It's little small things like that that happens in the media or, or people translate things, um, and, and it comes out the wrong way. Now, is it possible that Bruce Buffer would say that? Is the same guy that was caught in an elevator with Frank Trigg and got into a, pretty much a fist fight with Frank Trigg because he wasn't taking Frank Trigg's BS or want to start something with him? It's definitely in the realm of possibility. In my opinion, when I first read that, when I first saw that, I think it was taken out of context, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit at all if it's all been misconstrued. Guys, I hope you all enjoyed the relaunched version of the Holy Smokes MMA podcast. Next week, we're previewing it. Tyron Woodley, Darren Teal, Shevchenko, Nico Montano. It's going to be a good time. As always, you can head over to FightfulMMA.com for all your news Also, click that exclusives tab, and you will see just a wealth of content from James Lynch. Uh, Of course, YouTube.com slash Fightful. James, 
Tell the people where they can follow you on social media. Tell them about your channel, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, just keeping it simple at Lynch on sports. You can find me on all platforms there. Uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, everything else. And, uh, we, you know, UFC 228 is next week, but we got you covered here at Fightful. We got a ton of interviews. We mentioned Valentin Shevchenko. We got John Dodson, Jimmy Rivera, Cody Stamen, Jeff Neal, Charles Bird, Frank Camacho. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we got you covered pretty much for that. So get a head start on those interviews there. And, uh, also talk to Cajun Johnson this week. Uh, you know, uh, just talking about uh, his fight in Moscow, UFC's not happy with him. He's getting that fight. Well, it's, yeah. they gave him another killer, but I thought for sure they would just cut him after the Islam fight. I, I think they want to just feed him to the wolves in Russia. He's fighting Havilov, another Russian. I don't think it's going to bode well for him. But it's interesting because, of course, I asked him about the uh, the, the flip off, um, you know, at the weigh-ins or the you know the fake handshake that he did on the Fox card. And yeah, he said the execs were not too happy. So check that out. Cajun just very carefree and honest. Always appreciate his honesty. And uh, guys, for you know, thanks for uh, having me on the show, man. I, I can't wait to keep doing this. Uh, it's been uh, been a blast uh, doing uh, talking some fights with you guys. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it every week. Yeah, I like the dynamic. It gives us a little bit of a different different approach. I mean, I can only troll Cyborg and her management so many times on this podcast, <laughs> as Joe knows. Joe, tell the people where they can follow you on social media. Every single medium, at Showdown Joe. We'll, uh, you know, we'll keep talking things. I'll keep you guys up to date on what's happening with, with Kid if I get any information, as well as uh, my shenanigans, coaching my son uh, and all that stuff there as I travel across the GTA, getting myself in trouble. Uh, I almost got myself in trouble last Saturday um james as you know uh woodbridge is pretty popular when it comes to soccer um my team defeated woodbridge 5-3 to which point a father from the other team decided to try and pick a fight with me um really Jesus. yeah at an wow. eight-year-old seven eight-year-old soccer game uh he didn't like the fact that i was standing on my ground and i kept moving into him because i quickly realized uh the guy was all talk so i kind of backed him off and then a couple of other fathers got involved and i'm like hands are behind my back dude you need to relax it's a soccer game a little butt hurt that your team lost first loss of the season and it happened to be against my team. So looking forward to more coaching stuff, Sean, uh, today, tomorrow and Saturday. So it should be fun. Coaching can be some of the most, you can run into the, some of the most <laughs> ridiculous, immature people. Joe, did I ever tell you about the time I coached little league baseball? No. I worked for a boys and girls club of America and that was their baseball league was like the second best league in town. All the kids that were pretty much any good were in the not whole league. So the kids or the parents who maybe grew up on the Boys and Girls Club League would sign their kids up for for our league. And out of nowhere, my boss says, hey, we need you to coach a team this year of all the kids who signed up late. Well, if they signed up late, that either means they don't care or the parents don't care usually. So I get the kids who maybe weren't as good as even the kids who weren't good enough to be in the knothole league. We play our first game, and I'm talking like these kids, are they're just not athletically gifted. They're playing for fun. And we've got this coach across from us. Anytime a pitcher would drop the ball, he would send a runner. And I'm like, come on, guy. Kind of frowned upon. Just let him play. Let him have fun. Yeah. And my kids were getting really demoralized about it. So I went in the dugout and I said, kids, do you want to win or do you just want to swing away? And every one of them said that they wanted to win. I said, okay, don't swing at a single pitch this inning. As it turns out, nine-year-olds don't have a great command of the strike zone, Joe. Got a boy. Ten straight runs were walked in. Ten straight runs. And then finally I looked over at the other coach and I said, we can end this whenever you want. I don't want to do this any more than you want it done to you. And a lesson was taught on that day. Well, Guys. One sec, one sec. That's coaching 101, Sean. And I, you should be applauded for that because 
uh, as James knows, what Woodbridge is like with all that Italian background and how serious they are about <laughs> soccer. I happen to be in a smaller town of Italian descent, but Stouffville uh, is not known for their soccer. In fact, Sean, of all the teams uh, in York region, which is where we're at, uh, of the 8 to 10 associations, Stouffville is considered the bottom. We are looked at uh, as the association where a guaranteed win was going to come from. Therefore, the first time we played Woodbridge, we lost, uh, I think it was 5-1. And that was the game that turned our season around because I took that game early in the season and taught my boys the importance of passing, stopping with the eight, seven, and eight-year-old bumblebee soccer, moving into position. We play what's called the diamond. We feed our wingers. We feed our centermen. And when we beat this team 5-3, it was, I think it was the first loss for Woodbridge this year, the, 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 the coach came over and congratulated him. He's like, wow, what a difference, while the father was very, very upset that his team got pushed around. And his son, who's normally one of the guys who has the ball all the time, kept getting run over by my son and other players whatsoever. So you live and learn, but you're right. When it comes to coaching, sometimes these guys can get all crazy. These parents get all crazy and too emotional. It was a good time. It was fun. Guys, of course, we have additional premium content at FightfulSelect.com. If you haven't subscribed to this channel, leave us a thumbs up. And if you want to help out Fightful MMA, just share our stories on Twitter. Comment on our stories on FightfulMMA.com. All that stuff really helps. Very low effort, but it helps. You can follow me cross-platform at Sean Ross Sapp. Follow us at Fightful Online and Fightful MMA. We are out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.